Begin the current tab, Mesechtas Babakama Dav Kovtal. Begin eight lines down with the top of the Yamad, where the Gemara continues quoting from a Mishnah from the previous Tav. That is, as we mentioned in the discussion in the previous Tav, there's a halacha, specifically after the person swore falsely regarding the stolen object in his hand, and he admitted that then there's halacha la shehuloi. has to return the stolen object, even if the guy's a Madai, even in Midi, even far away, you have to go ahead and return it. So therefore the Mishnah said, He can't give it to that guy's son or to his agent. That's not considered coming to the hand of the guy himself. You don't fulfill your obligation of returning the theft until he gets it himself. Now, a discussion relating to this halacha, the Mishnah, the Gemara says, We learned that if Reuven has money that's owed to him by Shimon, and he appoints a shliach, that he made this appointment of this agent to collect that money from that guy, from his debtor with witnesses to receive it from him. Now, Rav Chizda Amr, he says, Have a He says that this guy therefore becomes the agent of the Mishaleach, of the creditor. And therefore, if let's say in Oynis something happens which is beyond any person's control on the road, which is cause a loss to that money, so the, the, the debtor that gave the money is going to be exempt. Rabbi says, No, actually, that guy is not the Shliach. Of the guy who is the of the creditor, he's just sending someone, and therefore, if something happens till it gets to his hand, the the one that the debtor is going to be liable to still reimburse the creditor. As the Gemara explains, Rav Chizda he says that the guy is the agent of the of the creditor because lahachi tarach be'edim. For that reason, he went through the effort and he established him as an agent in front of witnesses to lekei that it should be in his domain, which is when the moment he collects it from that guy, from the debtor, it's automatically considered as if it's in his hand. So anything that happens on the trip back is going to be the loss of the creditor. Now, Rabbi Amaloi Rabbi says that he's not considered the shliach, the agent of the creditor, because hachikama. Although he went and he established him to collect it from that guy with witnesses, it wasn't to say that, oh, he's my shliach, he's like a shliach shaladim kemaisai. No, inish mehemnehu. All he was saying was, this is a trustworthy guy. If you want to rely on him, you can rely on him. If you want to send it in his hand, you can send it in his hand. I'm just telling you the trustworthy guy. But not that he's my shliach and that if anything happens on the way back, it's my loss. No, I need it to be back in my hands. I'm just telling you he's a good guy, you could trust him, and not that he's Mashlech. That's Machlik is Rabbi Nefchizda regarding a situation when he made a Mashlech in front of two Edim. Is that indicative that he wants him to be his Shliach, his own Shliach? Or that no, he's just giving an opportunity for the guy to say, I know this guy, you can rely on him, but not that it's my Shliach, it's actually your Shliach. So that's the Machlik, it says. As the Gemara, it's not, we learned in the Mishnah, Bamitzi, which is difficult according to Rav Chizda. The Mishnah says, someone's borrowing a cow. Vishilcha, so the lender sends the cow to the borrower either biad benoi in the through his son biad avdi through his slave biad shluchi through his agent, or biad benoi biad avdi biad shluchi shalshoil, or in the hand of the son or the slave or the agent of the borrower. Umesa, and then it dies on the trip to the borrower. Says the Mishnah Potter, so the borrower is exempt because it never yet entered the domain of the borrower that he should be liable in einsin which is what the shayel generally is chayivin, until he, 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 he says that I want you to send it in the hand of my son or my, if the shleich is, if the shayel is telling him that, then of course he's taking responsibility right away. But since he didn't say that, so until it reaches the hand of the shayel, he's exempt from any einzim. On that asked the Gemara, this case of when it's the agent of the borrower, what would the case be talking about? There were two cases, either the, 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 the lenders, Shliach, 
or the borrower shliach. So he said either way he's exempt until he reaches his hands. So with the case of the shli- of the shayel's own bar- own agent, what's the case? That is idle If he didn't appoint this shliach with witnesses, so yadinan. We do we even know that it would be considered the shayel's shliach that were calling him his shliach that were saying he's exempt until even though it was in the hand of a shliach until he reaches the shayel's hands. Ella rather obviously says the gemara da It must be that where the shayel appointed the shliach with witnesses. And yet, Ukutani departed. Still, we learn, the Mishnah tells us, that the Shail is exempt because we don't consider him like his Shliach should be Kamaisai, that the moment that his Shliach gets at the Shail, that he should be liable for Einzin. It's a castle of Chizda. It's a good of Chizda. Rav Chizda said that he becomes his Shliach right away when you appoint him in front of two Adim. Yet here we see clearly that it must be Tuma that he made him with Adim, because or else how else do we know it's his Shliach? And still, we say that he's exempt. So, Nathan Gemara says, No, Kadam Rav Chizda. Like Rav Chizda answers in the next question. Which he says it's b'schir belakitai. So Achanam here also is talking about b'schiroi. B'schiroi is a guy that he hires either by the day or the month or for the year or for the week. Or ulakitai, which Rashi has two interpretations, either from the word of shalakitai, that he gathers him to him to live with him in this house, meaning he's a companion. Or it means lakitai, which is similar to schiroi, as it's usually used in the context of where he gathers his produce for him. Either way, it's not talking about that the shliach was his, how do we know, because with Adam. No, actually, says Rav Chizdev was with, with Adam, then actually he would be chai from the moment the shliach gets it. Because as Rav Chizdev said in the previous Machlech, is that he, that he becomes a shliach. Here is Shomach just, we assume that he's a shliach because it's this guy who lives with him. He's his worker, he's a guy that, uh, that uh, his companion, and that's the Chiddush, that even though he is his shliach, still, until he reaches the hand of the shayel, he's going to be exempt, because again, he never appointed him with Adam. Uh, that's how Rav Chizda would resolve that question. Tanan, the Gemara asks another question of Rav Chizda, which is from our Mishnah, which we quoted before. The Mishnah said, Logitain, the guy who denied that he stole, and he swore falsely, then he admitted, and now he has to pay back the theft. So the Pasuk says, La you have to give it back to him himself. So the Mishnah says, Logitain, you shouldn't give it this returning of the theft, not to the son or to the agent of the victim of the one that it was stolen from. That's what the Mishnah says. So says the Gemara, This agent of the, of the one who was stolen from, what's the case talking about? That is, if he didn't make him with witnesses, how do we know it's a shliach in the first place to say that you shouldn't give it to a shliach? Rather, must be Toma, where he made it with witnesses, and still we're saying that don't give it to his shliach, because if you do, and then this happens on the way back to him, there in mother, wherever he is, you're still going to be chayiv. Why? Obviously because he's not his shliach, even though he made it with Edim, which is like Rabba, not like Rav Chizah. Rav Chizah said if someone made a shliach with Edim, then it's considered like Kamaisa, then it is like him. So seemingly this contradicts Rav Chizah. The Gemara says, This was the halacha we just referenced in the previous Gemara's question. He interprets the halacha of a Mishnah that no, it wasn't made with Edim. So the question was, then how do we know that it's even the, the victim's shliach to say that it's not going to help? That's talking about where he's a worker, he's a guy that's always with him, that we know it's a shliach. And still, since it wasn't made with Edim, that's why there's not going to be kemoisa, it's not going to fulfill the obligation of returning it to him. But yes, as Rav Chizda, if he was made with Edim, then actually he would be enough, would give it to that guy shliach. Now, so the Gemara asks, so what are you saying? So, but what are you saying according to Rav Chizda? But if it was an agent that was made with the victim's own, when he did in front of witnesses, what the halacha be? So you're saying, that's of his opinion, that it would be considered like his shliach, and therefore giving it to his shliach would fulfill your obligations. 
On that, as the Gemara, the Tani Seba, instead of the end of the Mishnah saying that, yes, it's not going to fulfill your obligation by giving to his son or to his shlich. But we said, because of Takana Drabonim, we don't want people to have to travel to Madai, spend a thousand dollars to return the dollar that he stole from him. So he said, you can give it to the Shleich Basin. On that asked the Gemara, Liflik Velisni Bidi Day, as the Gemara asked him many times, that instead of going to a different case to show that you don't have to go to him, you could differentiate even in the previous case. As the, as the Hagor from the Bach says these words, because when did we say, that's When did we say it doesn't help to give it back to his agent? That's an agent that wasn't made with witnesses. Avil, however, as our Girsa has it, but an agent that was made with witnesses of the victim, that the Mishnah should say, even in that case itself, that we said it doesn't work, we can say it does work in a case when it was done with witnesses. Why travel to another case of Shlich Besen? So, I mean, they said it's not a difficulty because it's not an absolute for the Mishnah to be allowed to say it like that because Shlich Besen, the agent of the courts, there it doesn't make a difference. That dispensation that you could give it to an agent and you don't have to give it to his hand, it doesn't make a difference who appointed this shleich bezin, whether it was the victim or whether it was the one who stole. Either way, have a shleich, it becomes a shleich bezin. So that's something that's particular. That's an absolute. That's something that's always a dispensation. That's why the Mishnah mentioned that. But shleich shasab ba'edim, regarding your question, regarding an agent that was made with witnesses, that's the chiyasoi nigzal That's only if the victim made the agent. That, as we said, so if he appointed him in front of witnesses, then it's like kamaisai. Asoi gazlan lo havashleach. But if the, if, the, if the robber made a shliach to be the shliach for the nigzal, leipsikale, that's not going to be a valid shlichus. That, he didn't, that the Nixlam himself didn't appoint with Adam. And since it's not an absolute type of an option to say that a Shleich that would work, therefore they went for the more absolute option, which is the one of Shleich Basin. But yes, you're right, it would work if the Nixlam made a Shleich with Adam. Now the Gemara just says, based on what we just said, that we explained the Mishnah, that when it talks about a case of Shleich Basin, that's why we chose that over the case how we're resolving it for Rav Chizda, of the Nigzal making a shleich with Edim, is because that works even if the Goslin or the Nigzal made the shleich, which that already at that point in time, once it goes to the shleich bezin, it's going to be in the domain and the responsibility of the victim. That's what our Mishnah is saying, that Halacha is, being, is excluding from the Atana that's brought in the following Brisa. He says, shleich bezin, that the agent of the court which our Mishnah makes it sound like, that when, once you give it to him, so the, the, the Gazan's already exempt, that he explains is only Shasoi Nigzel, Veloi Sar Gazan. That's why our Mishnah would be going not like that, the way we just interpret Rav Chizda. He says only if the victim made the Shleich Bezen, but not if the Gazan did. Oh yeah, so Gazan, or another way that the Gazan would be exempt, is if the Gazan made the Shleich Bezen, but Veshalach Allah, but then the victim went and sent, but not and then he took it from the Shleich Bezen, only then would be putter, only then would the Gazan be exempt from any onus that happens on the trip back to the Gazan. Again, the only reason it would be like in this last case is because the Nigzal himself took it. But if, let's say, there was an onus from the first Shleach, then according to Shimon Lazar, the Gazan would be Chayiv. That's what the Gemara is saying, that according to Rav Chizah, how we have to interpret the Mishnah according to him, would be excluding from Mishim and would be saying, you know, in all situations, the Shleach Bazin would exempt the Gazan, whether the Nigzal made him or whether the Gazan made him. Now the Gemara tells us regarding this Machlikis that we opened up with Rabbah and Rav Chizda. So the Gemara tells Rav Yechen and Rav Loza, Damer Tavai, they both say, like Rav Chizda, Shlich, Shasor, Be'edim, Hava Shlich. If someone made a Shlich 
like in the case they were the arguing about regarding collecting from somebody, from the debtor, if, he appoint, if the creditor appointed the shliach with two witnesses, he's like a shliach and therefore he's kamaisi of the creditor. And therefore if a this happens on the way back, it's the, the, God, the, the, the debtor would be exempt and that's the liability of the, of the creditor. So they said, but for imtaim and Mishnah saying, but if you're going to ask on what we're saying from the halach of our Mishnah, which said that loyitin l'shluchay, don't give it to his agent. Now, as the Gemara had pointed out before, and that was the question that was addressed on Rav Chizda opinion, who they're going like, if the shliach of the of the, the guy you stole from from the nigzel wasn't made with Aden, then how do you know he's a shliach? So similarly, the Gemara wanted him for, oh, must be that it's with a shliach, and still you see that's not going to be valid, which contradicts what we're trying to say, which is like Rav Chizda. And uh, that is what they say that, no, don't say that it's talking about that he made a shliach with Edim. That's how you know it's a shliach. And still you would want to say, not like us, that it wouldn't work. No, it's He's just affording the, 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 the Goslin an, a, a messenger. And that is, he requests from his friend that he should, he should position himself by the robber and that is where the Amalek, because it's what well, the case we're talking about in the Mishnah is where the Nigzal tells to an agent, to his friend, look, Isli Zuzigabiplanya, I have money owed to me by this guy. He stole money from me. Now he's not sending it to me. Ischazile, go ahead and show yourself. Tell that person if he wants to, you're heading back to my hometown anyway, and you could send it with me, because says the Nigzal. Maybe he just didn't find anyone to send it with. Maybe he wants to really pay me back. He just never found anyone. That's the case of the mission that we're discussing, that the Goslin should not give the Shliach, because, yeah, how do we know he's a Shliach? Yeah, we know because, we know that there were witnesses who testified that this guy said to these two people to go ahead and, and he said to this person to go ahead and, present himself, but not that he made him a shliach. If he would have appointed him, I want you to go ahead and get from this guy, of course, then it would be like, Rav Chiz, like, like, like this halacha that we're saying, where you'd be able to go ahead, which we say like Rav Chiz, that, that it would be like his shliach, and then he would be exempt from the oinus if he gave it to the shliach. But that's not the case. He just told the guy, make yourself available to be his shliach. And that's why the, the Mishnah is saying, don't give it to the shliach, because you're going to be chayiv until he gets to that person's hands. Or Inami, or, the, or they said, Rabbi Yechon Melazar, you could take it to Rav Chizda, like Rav Chizda resolved it, as we mentioned this before, Beschir Velikitai. How do you know it's a shliach? Not because he appointed with Edom. You're right, appointed with Edom, then there would be enough to give it to the shliach. It's somewhere where he's just, his, his daily laborer, or the guy that works for him, collecting and gathering, or his companion, is regarding such a case where we know it's his, his guy, his shliach, and that is what we're saying, that you're not going to be exempt because he didn't make it with Edom, but if he made it with Edom, then as we're saying, like Rav Chiza, then he would be his shliach, like Kamaisi, and then he'd be exempt, giving it to the shliach. Now, a related discussion, the Gemara says, I'm going to be Shmuel, as we continue to talk Bays. If, let's say, the, the owner of a deposit, who gave it to another person as to watch this deposit from, if the owner, who wants to get his deposit back, sent a sign, and he, he wrote, he, he signed his signature on the letter, and he gave it to this person, who he gave a symbol to, and he said, look, show this to that guy, and he's going to give you the money that I have by him, which he's holding a deposit for me. That says the Gemara, the, 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 the Shemra of the Bukhan, does not give the money back with this guy who's presenting himself with a symbol that he's the messenger of that guy. And even if there are witnesses signed underneath that guy's stamp, that's not enough. We don't know for sure that means to say that 
he wants him to collect it, and therefore you don't return it in such a situation. Whereas he says, no, witnesses signed underneath this guy's symbol, representing this guy who he's sending to go ahead and, and bring back his deposit, then that's something that you could collect for. Now, the Gemara says, Ami, they asked, according to Shmuel, how could a person ever get his Pekotin back? If he's saying it doesn't help with him putting his seal on the letter of saying that he's his representative, and even witnesses signing underneath, how does a person then ever have the opportunity of getting his money back from someone else, which is very far away, that he wants to send the Shleich to get his Pekotin back? So then the Gemara says, like the following incident of Ababa to illustrate what has to be done according to Shmuel. Have a massic zuzi with Rabbi Yisab Bar He was collecting. He, he was owed money by Rabbi Yisab Bar Chama. So Amalei Rav Safra. So Rabbi Baba said to Rav Safra, "Bahadi the osis, I sin in hali." When you go there to where Rabbi Yisab lives, Rabbi Yisab Bar Chama said, "Then you could bring me back the, the, the money that's owed to me from him." Okay, Azul Hazim and Rav Safra went there. Amalei Rava Beray. So Rava, the son of Rabbi Yisab Bar Chama, said to Rav Safra, "Wait, you want to collect from my father?" Did Rebbe write to you what's called his gabalti, like a receipt, that I received my money with the receipt of my, of my messenger, Reb Safa, that I could have this document to prove that we paid him up? So I said, no. So he said to me, if that's the case, well, the Zilberesha first go, let him write for you a receipt that I received it. Then, when you come back, I'll give you the money, and then you'll give us the receipt. Now, at the end, he actually told him that, no. Even if Rav Abba writes for you this receipt I received, it's not worth anything for us. Because Dilma us is because maybe when you're going to come, in other words, when you're still on the road coming back to us with this receipt, maybe Shachev Rav Abba, maybe Rav Abba who is elderly, maybe that he died when you were still on the road before you came to us. Now, in that case, the Nafalu Zuzi Kamayasmi, what that halachically means to say is that before you even came to us, the Zuzin that were owed to him already fell in inheritance to his children, to the orphans. And therefore, you're giving us at a later point in time when you finally get to us, this receipt from Rebaba is not worth anything because his agency of, of, of saying that it's already Michael, it's already paid up, bef- was, was before they received it, that's already bottle. And therefore, if there's going to be an Aynis from you on the way back to the orphans, and it's going to get lost, they're going to come claiming to us and say, wait a second, you owe it to us, we never got it. And we're going to say, what do you mean? We already have a skabalti. They're going to say, his skabalti from my father is not worth anything. You only got it after he was dead. That's void. So Amalei, Sir of Safar, said to, uh, to Rav, he says, so what should I do? You're telling me that even coming back with a receipt from Babab is not going to work, so what do I do? So he said to him, Zilnek Ninulach Agavar. You know what you should do? Go back to Rebaba. Let him Bimakna acquired to you that money which my father owes him through land. In other words, let him make you the owner of that money because, as the Gemara tells in the condition of Chavav Medalf, which is a reference to Metaltman, which is what money is, could be acquired through the dint of acquisition of something that has a Christ, which is a reference to Karka. So let him give you a small piece of land, and through that he can be Makna to you wherever the monies are through that acquisition of that land, which then the money will be yours. Now, the ta'at, cost of land is then you'll come, you'll write, I received it, then will have been paid up already, because then, automatically, you were the one that owned, that owned it, then you can go ahead and then acquire it back to, to Rebaba. But then we'll know that it's going to be a valid receipt, because it was you that was owed that money, 
because you got it through the what was given to you by Rebaba. Now the Gemara tells us, as we find a similar precedent by Rebaba, have a masik tray for Alfa Zuz in Bechazoi. He was owed 12,000 Zuz in Bechazoi, which is the name of a place. Akaninu Nahaleil, Rav Shmuel Bar Abba, so he did the same thing. This halacha that we said, which is necessary according to Shmuel, he acquired that debt which was owed to him to Rav Shmuel Bar Abba, Agavasiva de Beise, through the, the threshold, the, 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 the entryway of his house, which is something that's connected to the ground, therefore has halacha like karka, which we said that Metalin could be Nikna Agav Karka. So Kiasa, when Rav Shmuel Bar Abba came back with his money, he went towards him to greet him all the way to this place of Tavach, which he was so happy that he was getting his money back, which was owed to him. Again, because as we said, according to Shmuel, the only way he could do that is by actually being makna that debt to the shliach. And then when the shliach comes, he could write a skabalti. Then that's for sure a valid operation where even if the one that was owed to dies, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't go to his yarshim. is really given over to that shliach. Again, that's what comes out according to this is between Rebbechen and Shmuel, if how can a person get his things back, according to Shmuel, it's only possible in the way we just described, whereas according to Rebbechen, if you have uh, this diakoni, this, this stamp, with witnesses underneath, he said that's also enough for the shliach to be able to be verified that he's a valid shliach, to be able to send back the bekotten with to the owner of the bekotten. Now the Mishnah said, that we described where the own, the, 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 ta, what you have to get back to his hand to send all the way to Madai is only the Karen, not the Chaymish. Therefore, like the Mishnah said, if he paid up the principal, just not the Karbanash, not the, not the Chaymish, not the fifth, he doesn't have to send all the way to Madai. So the Gemara makes the following inference. From the fact that the Mishnah had to tell us that you don't have to go after him, which that's not included in Asher Hulai, but Amma, what you see inferentially is that Chaymish Mamainahu, obviously that the fifth is considered a monetary obligation, not just what would be considered kapara, atonement, because from the fact that we require him to have to go to him, well, we, that we would entertain that he has to get it to him, obviously that tells us that it's a monetary obligation he has to him. If it's just an atonement thing, then it wouldn't have to be something that you have to bring it to him per se. Now, that's, but that's the Chiddush of the Mishnah, that you don't have to bring it to him. Now, therefore, the, the halachic ramification that is, is v'imayis. So therefore, if the robber actually dies, m'shamalei So his inheritors have to pay that up. Any monetary obligation his father has, you have to pay up. But something like of an atonement, as we're shortly going to see, that there's no obligation for the yarshim to pay up after the father's death. Because b'tznanami, similarly learned in the Mishnah, moreover, it says, nas nesakaren, if he, if he gave already the principle. But v'nishba, but then he swore afterwards Allah on the fifth. He was denying, which the fifth was already obligated. Now he's denying that. And then he admits, says the Mishnah, now he has to pay a fifth on the fifth. So again, the second proof, obviously that it's monetary obligation, because if it was just kapara, there wouldn't be any fifth penalty. It's only on principle that if you deny and you swear falsely that you have to pay a fifth, obviously that the fifth itself is a moment, is a monetary type of obligation. And Vitanam Hochi, similar in the Brice, again, another proof. That says, If someone steals from his friend, and then he swears falsely, then he admits, and then then he dies, says the Brais, The inheritors have to pay the principal and the fifth, which again, that you see from there, from the fact that they have to pay that, obviously it's because of monetary obligation, whereas of Turman Ashram, they're exempt from the carbon Ashram, which is generally an obligation on someone that steals and then swears falsely and then admits, because here's a case of when the owner, which is the guy who was the goslin, he dies. 
where let's say he had already separated the carbon ashram when he was still alive and then he would have died, the halacha is that the animal would have to graze until it develops a blemish. Now, moreover, if he didn't even separate it, then they're going to be exempt because the carbon ashram is, is a kapar, it's an atonement. Unlike the, the Karen and as we're describing over here, the Chaymish, which are mammon, and there is no atonement for people that are dead. So therefore, that's the third proof where obviously that the halacha, the Chaymish, is a mammon, is a monetary obligation and not just a kapara, an atonement type of obligation. Now, on this halacha, the Gemara asks, the Yoshim b'nei shlumei chum hava? We just described that, okay, as we said in the Brisa, that chemish is a monetary obligation, and therefore the Yershim who have, the, have to pay up their father's monetary obligations, so too have to pay up the fifth, which is not just kapar, it's also mammon. Oh, that has to gemara, but veriminu, this seems to be contradicted from a Brisa in Taurus Kainim, where there, the beginning of the Brisa says, when it says they have to return the Gizela Asher Gazel, which he stole, says the Brisa, it's only on his own theft that he has to add on the fifth. But if it's his father's theft, then you don't have to add on the fifth. So says the Bryce in continuation, but still I would say, when is it that he doesn't have to pay a fifth on his father's theft? I would say that's when neither him nor his father swore falsely. But but if, it's, but if the, the Irish had sworn falsely regarding the theft, and his father didn't, or but or let's say his father did, but he didn't, or him and his father did swear falsely. How do I know that even there does the Yerush not have to pay the Chaymish for the father's theft? Which he stole, which he deprived the payment of the, of the labor, which then you have to have the, the, the Chaymish. But for who? Him, the Yerush, did not steal. He did not hold back the payment of the worker. It was his father that did that. So David said to Bryce, in all situations, the, 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 the Yerush, the inheritor of the Gazan, never has to pay the Chaymish. So that contradicts what we just said before. We just brought the Bryce, and that proved the point we were saying that Chaymish is mammon, so the Yerush has to pay it. Here we see clearly in the Bryce of Kainim that there is no obligation for the Yerush to pay the Chaymish of their father. So Amrav Nachman, he says, Lekash, it's not a difficulty. Khan, the first Bryce is talking about, Shahida, that the father admitted to the lie, to the, that he swore falsely when he was still alive, and therefore already had the Torah obligation of paying the fifth. That's where it's a, it's a mammon type of obligation that the Yerushim have to pay. Khan, but the Bryce that we just brought in Torah's Kainim is Shalaihaida, where he didn't admit, where now the assumption of the Gemara originally is that no one admitted, not the father and not the son. So in such a case where there was no admission to that swearing falsely, so then the obligation of the Chaymish never happened, and that's why that's the case where the Irish is not going to have to pay the Chaymish of the father. Now, that thing more asks, wait a second, Eloi Haida, if you tell me that when the Bryson Teres Chaymish is talking about that he did not admit, that you tell me that he, that you, if you explain the case that he doesn't have to pay the Chaymish, it's because he didn't admit, so Karen Adlai Misham, so he shouldn't have to pay either the principal too, because he's not admitting to the fact that he stole. There's no witnesses here. It's the guy himself. The whole Allah of Karen Chaymish Ashim is only when he admits himself. So he swore, the father swore falsely. Okay. And no one admitted. So if no one admitted, so okay, that's why you're exempt from the Chaymish. But then why Yichayev and the Karen? Now, Chitam, if you're going to say, that you're actually true. No, the Bryce is just talking about the fifth, but actually doesn't have to pay the Karen either. And that has to give up. And the fact that the Bryce is going after the Halacha of the fifth, and saying that the Yerush doesn't have to pay the fifth, obviously the member the Karen Misham, obviously that's saying that, but he has to pay the principal. 
because the principle is the big Yechidus, that's the primary obligation. It, why say that he's exempt from the fifth? It, it sounds like that, but he's liable for the principle. But if you're telling me that it, it, he's not admitting, no one admitted to anything, so then why would there be an obligation on the principle? Void moreover asked the Gemara, Tanya, we learned the Brisum clearly, not like what the Gemara's premise right now is trying to attempt, is to say that he's exempt from the theft of his father. We see that clearly he is obligated in the principle when his father steals. Because the Brisa says, on the Still I would say that this is the other, this is the opposite. The first part of the, the Gemara brought down from the Brisa was saying that he's always exempt from the fifth. Now the Brisa is saying that he's, a, he's liable on the Gzela and it's going to say he's always liable on his father's Gzela. Because the Brisa says, Still, I would say, But when does he pay the principal for his father's theft? I would say, That's only when him and his father stole. But if, let's say, his father, if his father swore, but he didn't swear. Or he swore and his father didn't. Or neither him nor his father. How do I know that even over there, he's still going to be liable to return the principal from what his father stole? Tamalema, that's what the Pasik teaches, Gizela for theft, Ba'ishik, holding back payment, Aveda for a lost object, Upakadan for a deposit, which is Yesh Talmud, which there is there is a teaching over here, which these four extra psukim are teaching that in all situations, all four different variants which we described, which is both of them swearing, neither of them swearing, one the father swearing, or only the son swearing, in all four situations the, the Pasik is teaching us that he has to pay up for his father's theft. Incident, uh, uh, and, uh, as a side, the Gemara tells us that regarding this teaching, Biyasa Rav Huna, Rav Huna was, teach, was sitting, and he was, he was saying over this teaching. So Amalei Rabbah Brace, the Rabbah, the son of Rav Huna, said to him, what were the words you just finished? Yesh Talmud Kamamar? Was the master saying that there is a, a, a teaching, that there is a learning? In other words, that the Tana was saying that we could prove this points from the Pesukim, from the fact that it said all these extra words of Gzela and Eshek and all these different things. That's how I know that the, the son will pay the Gzela in all situations. Oh, Yishtalmu, it sounds similar. Yishtalmu, Yishtalmu, or was it Yishtalmu Kamamau? Was the master saying that he has to pay, but not that it's learned from Sukkim, but rather that it's learned out from logic. So Malaysia's father said to him, Yes, Talmud coming. What I said was that there is a derivative, there is a learning, which is umirbur de kro ka'amri. That it's from the, from the extra words in the psukim that I could say this halacha, that in all situations the son has to pay the principle of the father's theft. But one thing is, is that we're back to the question. Either way, whether yes, Talmud or yes, Talmud, but we see this halacha that the son is liable in the father's theft. So back to the question. If it is that you're saying that there was no admission, and therefore, that's why he's saying that the son is going to be exempt from the liability of Chaimish, because you said in the previous price that yes, he would be chayiv in the father's Chaimish. It's just like Mammon. So why are we here in Taras Karen is he exempt? Oh, because he didn't admit. Didn't admit, so why is he chayiv on the Karen? Why is he chayiv in the principal? And moreover, we see clearly that even if there is no haidah and none of them admit, we see in this price in Taras Karen that we said that he's going to be chayiv on the Karen. El Arata says the Gemara, Mailoi haidah. What did we mean, Rav Nachman's answer that we originally thought meant? The second Bryce is talking about in Teres Karnam that he didn't admit to anything. We thought it meant no one admitted, not the father, not the son. That says the Gemara Loi. Loi hoide avev hoide benoi. When we're saying he didn't admit, it means the father didn't admit, but the son did admit. So therefore he has to pay the Karen because he admits, as we said before, the son is obligated in the father's theft. So he has to pay the principal, but not the fifth, because that's what we said, that the Pusik excludes the son from paying the fifth for the father's theft. 
which is, yes, if, as the first Bryce had said, if the father already swore and admitted he already became a chayib and a chaymish before he died, then, as we said, that the son would be obligated in the monetary obligation of the father paying up the fifth. The second Bryce, however, is told where this father never admitted. So the father never had the obligation. The son doesn't become, create his own obligation for the father's fifth for the theft that he made. So therefore, that's how we have this middle ground, the second b'risa, with yes, he's going to be chayv in the karen, because the son does admit, unlike as we had originally thought, but he's not going to be chayv in the chaymish, because he does not become obligated as a, for a fifth for swearing falsely for his father's own theft. Now, however, the Gemara asks, separate from the contradiction that we have from these two b'risas, based on what we're saying, if the son is admitting to the theft of his father, but, but, and yet he's swearing falsely, but then the son should be liable for the fifth for his own swearing falsely. One of the cases was Nishbahu Vavlipatur. Even if he and his father swears falsely, he's going to be exempt. The question is, since the son is swearing falsely and he's admitting, then why is he exempt? His own swearing falsely should make him obligated in his father's theft. So Amri, they said, The case that we're talking about is where the theft is not around anymore. With there, the son doesn't have an obligation to pay up anymore his father's theft. Because as the Mishnah teaches on later on, on Dafkof Yeravam Abayz, is when someone steals and feeds the theft, what he stole as food for his children, the sons, although they ate it, are exempt from paying back. Because it's not around anymore. So therefore, that's what the Gemara is answering. If the son denies, he swears falsely, and then he admits, all he was doing was just a general lie, what's called a shavuz bitui, which doesn't have the penalty of a chaymish. Chaymish, the penalty of a fifth is only when there's a theft, which he's denying, which he really has, which he didn't pay, and then he swears falsely, then he admits, then he has to pay the chaymish. Here when the son is swearing falsely, that, that's oath that he's taking himself, cannot make him liable, because there is no money here that he stole that would have to be returned, because even when we say he has to return his father's theft, that's only when it's around. Since it's not around, there's nothing here that he's swearing falsely in regards to a theft that would li- make it liable for a fifth. Now, the Gemara asked then, I understand. If the theft is not around anymore, then even the principal should not have to pay. You just said that the obligation that he has to pay up for his father, which would be, let's say, covered for his father, that for eternity shouldn't be considered a goslin, is only if it's around. If it's not around, so there's, no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no principal that he has to pay, hence his oath would not make him liable for the fifth. So then why are you saying he's liable for the principal? So I think Martin says, Loi Tzricha, the Ikachrais, as the Bach has in the word, Nechasim. There is what's called the, res- the liability of a property, which is always a reference to the word of Karka. In other words, as the Gemara actually tells us there later on, that if the father left over after he died, he left over Karka, then they do have to pay back because of the dignity of their father to pay up his debts. So therefore, that's where we are, where there is going to be the responsibility of the principal. Because although the gzela is not here anymore, but the father left over in his estate, in the inheritance land, which therefore obligates him to pay up the principal. But the actual gazela itself is not here anymore. So therefore, it's not that the son who has the obligation to return the theft is, is lying about it and therefore not giving it back. Because actually, that theft is not here. So the lie is just a lie. Okay, so you, you're not allowed to swear falsely. But that doesn't obligate in the fifth. But yet still there's the principle, which is the land that the father left over, not the gazela itself, which would make the son himself liable for that. Now, on that, the Gemara asks, which Rashi in the Gisoyes takes it out, but we're going to be going based on Tesis, who keeps this Gersa, asks, I understand. Ask the Gemara in this answer, what does it help that he left over land? Milval pehi, 
What is a theft? A theft is a debt that's owed to the one he stole from, but it's an oral obligation. It wasn't written in the document. It would be, in halacha, it's called an oral loan, which is just a term used for someone that owes someone money. Umil v'apel, we know when there's an oral loan or oral obligation, you cannot collect from inheritors or from consumers. So what does it help to say that there's the, there's the land and therefore he would have to pay back because of the land? But the problem is, it's an oral obligation. Oral obligation cannot collect from land. So how can you say he's obligated in the principle? Now, Taisa explains, which addresses Rashi's concerns, that we're going according to the opinion that holds Shibuda Labdai Raisa, that a lien is not biblical. Now, the problem is, however, the Gemara here makes it sound like that it's biblical that you could collect from the Yarshan. Now, what he, what he addresses from Rashi's question, although the Gemara does tell us later on, which, which Rashi actually just quoted previously, that if, if, if the father leaves over, then the Yarshim have to pay up, and that, says Taisus, that's not a difficulty, because this opinion would say that that halacha is only rabbinic, so that lenders should, should, should want to lend, because they know that they could collect at least if they left over Achrayis Nechassim, as Rapapa says in Paragat Pashat. So therefore, that's not a contradiction. And hence, the Gemara's question is that, seemingly, Shibur's love their so they can't collect. And yet, here you are, you're saying, you're answering that since there was land left over, that's why there's a biblical obligation on the ocean to pay back the Karen. How do we understand that? Milva Peh cannot collect from Achrayis Nechassim from, from the, from the Yarshim. So, I mean, they said, as we continue on top of Kofayim and Aleph, it's Tumad Bishamad Bedin, where the father already had the court case. A court case is as if it was written in the document, or in other words, it's something already concretized in court, that there is this debt, and then he died. So, regarding such a debt, that would be considered like a Milvak Suv Bishtar, and hence, it would be collectible from the Chrais Nachasim, from the carcass that it leaves over, and that's why the children would have to give the principal, albeit if, even if he lies he swears falsely, would not obligate him because the gazelle is not around anymore in the penalty of the chemish. Taisa addresses, although Rashi asks, and that's one of the reasons why he doesn't have this girsa of the Gemara's question, which he has problems with, and the Gemara's answer, is that what does it help that there was a court case? We already explained through Rav Nachman that this Bryce is talking about where the father denied and swore falsely and he never admitted, and only the son admitted. So what does it help that there was already Hamad Abedin? What does that do? The father denied the claims. So it's not like it, that the debt was written in the, in the documents, only the son later on that admitted. What does that have to do with the father's debts, that it should be his own character, it should be Meshubit? So that taste explains what the Gemara is answering is that there was a court case already, after he swore falsely, is that then witnesses came. Which, yes, that would answer and address the point that the father was never obligated in the Chemish before he died, as the Mishra teaches on later on Kavchasim Abayi, where there's witnesses, there's no penalty of Chemish. So we could still maintain fidelity to Rabbi Nachman's answer that the second Bryce of this of Teres Kayanim is talking about that there is the, uh, the, the, there is the obligation of the Karen of the principal because there was a court case with the father with witnesses coming, yet that the, the father was denying it all along. Now, therefore, the, since witnesses come, that's why there's not going to be any penalty of Chaymish because in, in such a case where the, when there are witnesses that come along, it doesn't help where the halacha of a person swearing and then admitting, 
So therefore, since there's no chaymish, that's where that addresses that middle ground that we have over here in this case, where there's going to be the achrayis of nechassim, obligating the father and his penalty of the principal, because there are witnesses that came, there was amid bedin, yet still that, 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 that doesn't contradict what was said previously by Rav Nachman, that the father doesn't admit, so if he doesn't admit, so how's the Karen? Again, that's because of Adam, and therefore that's also responding to the answer that we said, that this b'risa holds, that there's not going to be a penalty of chaymish, for the child to have to pay up for his father's debt, again, in contrast to the first b'risa, where the father did admit, which then he already has that achrayis, he already has that a monetary penalty, which are called a, a, a mammon of chaymish, which then the child does have to pay. Now, but then the Gemara asks, if it's talking about that there was already a court case, then Then again, you're back to the question, then essentially, you answered that the reason why the son doesn't have to pay for his false oath is because there's nothing here of money that he owes that should penalize him for the chaymish, even though he's swearing falsely. Because the gzale is not here anymore, so he doesn't have to pay that back. So we answered, okay, fine, but the father's obligation is here. How is the father's obligation over here? Because there's a mother bedin. But if a mother bedin, that makes it like there was a court case, right? It's like there's a principle of debt here. That obligation is now on the child. If the child has that obligation and he's swearing falsely, so that I should obligate the son for his own swear, own false oath in the halach of chaymish. So then Rav Hunbury de he answers that no. There is no payment of a fifth for denial of an obligation which is because of a lien on land. And that is because what's the obligation of the chaymish? It's coming on the oath. Now the problem is it's not a halachic oath. Because the Gemara tells in Masech Shvist of Membeiz Membeiz that you can't swear relating to halachas of land. Now here this son, when he's swearing, what's he denying? He's denying the lien, the Sheba of the Karka. Because again, that's where we explain the whole obligation is only because of the father's responsibility, which then carries over to his land, which he left over. Because if Nafach Reis Nachas, and we said there would not have been an obligation to pay, so therefore, you're right, although the son is wearing falsely, it's only regarding the land which is responsible, there is no halacha of Shavu on Karkais, and therefore, although he's wearing falsely, that would not obligate him in the penalty of Chemish, because it's only on the Shavu, and the Shavu doesn't really pertain, because it's going on Karka. Rav Amar, he gives a different answer for the previous question. He says that truthfully that we're talking about, the Gemara previously tried attempting to say, in the first answer, that the gzale is not around. And then we went through that whole discussion, if it's not around, so then he shouldn't be responsible for principle. We said that no, there is the responsibility principle because of Rechais Nechassim. Then we said, but if okay, Rechais Nechassim, then... It's, but it's a Malva Peh that shouldn't have the responsibility of a karka. So it says, Omer Bedin. But he said, if it's Omer Bedin, then the son should be Chayv Chaymish himself. Then we said, okay, no, because the, you don't pay a Chaymish for Kfir Shibit Karkois, which is what this case is talking about. Rabbi says, no, you don't have to say, like the Gemara said in the first answer, that the Gzela is not around. The Gzela is around, it's extant. And therefore, that addresses the previous question, why he's Chayv in the Karen. Because the Karen's still here, as we brought from the Brysa, he's responsible to return the father's theft for the Gzela itself for the Karen. Now, but then the question was, then let the son be Chayv Chaymish on his own oath, where he was swearing falsely, because now he admitted that he swore falsely. Now, that's his Rav HaChemai Eskinu, what we're talking about here in this Brysa, that exempts him, forget about the Chaymish of his father, which that we said that the father did not admit, so that's why it's different than the first Brysa. But we asked just in regard to the second brass itself, but the son had his own oath. Explains the Gemara, explains Rabbits, if it's talking about where this Diskaya, which is where the father's money was placed in, was was deposited in someone else's hands. And in that, where the father had all his money, had that stolen money in there too. Where 
Karen Mishalim de Ha'isa. He has to pay for the principal because it's extant. As we said, he has the obligations of to pay up his father's theft. Why doesn't he pay up the fifth? I he swore falsely. Because when the son swore falsely, he was telling the truth. What does that mean, the truth? That he didn't know. As the Mishnah teaches, that one is not liable for a true error, like in this case where what's called libe'anse, his heart told him, what are you talking about? I'll I'll take an oath, that's not true, that, that we don't have this theft that you're claiming. And he was telling the truth, although he was mistaken. It was a false oath because the father does have it. It was just in someone else's hands. In such a situation like the Gemara says in the Shavuot, that does not make a person liable for the penalties of a Shavuot Sheker, including this halacha of Chaymish. And that is why, again, Rav explained, we could have this middle ground, the second b'risa. Again, as we addressed regarding the first b'risa, the father in the first b'risa admitted, therefore the son would have to pay up the Chaymish. Second b'risa, third b'risa, is where the father did not admit, and therefore... Even though you have all the other three types of variations, the son is not going to have to pay the chaymish, although he has to pay for the gzela. Again, we're, as we explained in the second answer, because the gzela is kayama, so he has to give that back. But regarding the, swir, the fourth oath that he himself made, it's not considered in halacha as a shwur lasheker because he didn't know, because it was the gzela with all his father's other's money was deposited by someone else.